From the city of Beaky Blinders, Birmingham, England, I would like to introduce you to Paddy Dandar. As the world becomes more automated and the robots take over, it's imperative that we build the right human skills for the future. So pull up a chair, grab a smoser or two, and make yourself very uncomfortable. Hey folks, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Superpower School podcast. I'm your host, Paddy Dander, and on today's show, we're going to continue the theme of creativity, but we're going to take a slightly different angle today. And I'm joined today by an awesome guest all the way from the other side of the world, literally the other side of the world, from Australia. He's the author of a book called Who Killed Creativity? as well as the innovation race. He's an educator who turns complex theories into simple, fun learning experiences. So without further ado, I'd love to welcome Andrew Grant to the show. Hey, Andrew, how are you doing? Hey, good, thank you. How are you going? I'm good, thank you, Andrew. And I'm so jealous because you told me just before we kicked off that it's nice and sunny where you are and uh, I'm not seeing the same over here. So yeah, super jealous of your weather at the moment. It's a good time to be moving into summer. <laughs> oh, actually, yeah, this is your summer now, right? It is, yes. Oh, wow, there you go. Even more reason to move to Australia. So, Andrew, I was looking at your background, your website. I see some phenomenal insights that you've got on there. And a lot of what you've been researching, it very much aligns with much of what I'm really interested in around innovation and creativity. So I think this conversation is going to be very useful, if not for anyone else, for me personally, but I know it's going to be valuable to everybody. So, Andrew, could you give us a little bit about your background and how did you get into the work that you do now? Well, as you said, my background is actually education. It's always been my passion, whatever I'm teaching, to make the subject meaningful, engaging. I think the greatest mistake any teacher makes, whether they're kindergarten through to corporate, is to assume that the audience is as passionate about the topic as they are, and they're not. And so how many times do you go to a keynote talk or sit through a classroom or, or remember your best or your worst teacher? And it's it's not about what how passionate they are, although passion helps, it's about can they engage their audience? And so it really didn't matter what I was teaching. And for the last 20 something years, it has been corporate, but it's been NGO, school, education, you name it, I've been teaching it. It's about taking, as you said, that topic, taking the content, and realizing the contents, only 50% of the success rate, it's the methodology that needs to be in, presented to make that content come alive. And as I've said, if people are going to pay thousands or tens of thousands of dollars for a keynote talk or a workshop, it better be better than a free YouTube video or this podcast. So, you know, it really, it's not just these days about having great content. You go to a lot of workshops and conferences where you've got content experts, but as I said, you get that from a book or YouTube. It really is about taking that content, first of all, selling it so people realize that this is important, engaging them so they can see the relevance for it in their life, and then allowing, the, the secret then is allowing them to discover it rather than me tell it to them. If they discover it, it becomes so much more powerful. And then once they discover it, then it's, what are we going to do about it? What, what action, what outcome, what behavior change are you going to make? And that to me is the absolute core of education. And it's funny, you know, I sometimes go on conferences and, and the companies, you know, nickel and diming me and saying, look, I'm saying I need a couple of extra facilitators in the room. You've got six tables. I can't run them all from the front. You want to have a discussion. I need to bring some facilitators. And they say to me, 
oh, well, we can, we can supply some facilitators. And I said, well, you can supply some facilitators if I can supply my facilitators as your accountants. In other words, don't undervalue the skill of education facilitation. It is something that really does take 10,000 hours to draw things out of people. And that's where the creativity comes in. Fantastic. So my next question, Andrew, and you may have already answered it, is which superpower would you like to bring to this particular episode? Education. The ability to, to creatively present a topic. Ironically, we will talk about creativity today and there's a story behind that, but it doesn't matter. It's the ability to be able to teach, inspire, help people learn a skill that they've got in a way that they learn it themselves, discover it themselves, remember it. And that requires creativity. And funnily enough, I don't know if this is the time to talk, but that's how we got into creativity or creative thinking. Oh, fantastic. I actually posted on someone's LinkedIn post just the other day, and they had posed this question about how do we need to educate differently now than we did in the past? And one of the things I think I was talking about there was traditionally instructional designers would probably sit in a darkened room and put together as many slides as they could when they were designing a training course and they would pack it with knowledge and um, it became more of a broadcast. Whereas now, as you mentioned, we've got all of these other things to contend with, like the distractions that learners have, social media, the phones, the gadgets, everything else that's going around them. So as an educator, I think your job is really, really challenging now than it was perhaps before. So it's about getting people immersed into that experience. So you become the biggest distraction rather than everything else that's going on. I'm smiling because it's true, but you know, I started I don't know, 45, 40 years ago in a school. It was one of the worst boys schools in the state on a subject that wasn't examinable for the high school certificate, which means the kids, if they were smart, knew that there was no point doing it, personal development. and I knew that if I didn't engage them and show them the relevance of it, I would be absolutely laughed out the door. But I've always thought the, the sign of a great teacher, if we go back to school before social media is the bell rings and the kids don't race out, that they're not watching their watch thinking, when is this lesson going to finish? And so I think, um, I know we've got new distractions these days of social media and we can get to that in a minute and their their devices and now we wear them on our on our hands but you know that that problem was the problem was always there it just it just reinvented itself now but but think about the great teacher when you were at school the teacher that you just you were just counting that clock down for the bell to ring so you could get out of there or the classroom when the bell rang you didn't even notice it because you were so absorbed in what the teacher was presenting to you. So yes, it's changed and it's iterated over the last 40 years. And now we're dealing with, you know, things moving and buzzing everywhere, but, but the concept's the same. If people are engaged, if people can see the relevance of what they're learning, if people can see that they can change behavior of corporate people, which is now where we're working at, can see that we can change behaviors. We can, we can get them to explore and discover prop solutions to problems they never thought they could get. They'll be engaged. I mean, I had one corporate company, it was an oil company, which I'm not an expert on. And they said, we, with our, in our design thinking workshop, in three hours, we solved something that took, took them three years to think about, simply because we gave them a process of design thinking. And when the bell went, they didn't want to leave. They were going, wow, you've just, you've just, we've just done in three hours what, what has normally taken three years. What else can you do? So, you know, the phones were, became secondary. So that, that's what it's about. It's about engaging people and, and letting them see the relevance of it. 
Oh, fantastic. So how are some of the ways that you've been getting people engaged and creating these experiences? Because I'd love to know some of your lessons learned and some of the ways in which you're being creative in the classroom. Well, well, let me start, as I said, when we, when we started with creative thinking, and let me quickly define creative thinking. I don't have an artistic bone in my body. I failed art. I hated art at school. I can't draw. I can barely write with my hands. I'm, I'm left-handed. I don't know what that means. And so I'm, let, let's just get that off the table straight away. But we were running leadership programs, team development programs all over. Again, we came from an educational background. We, we didn't come from another company. We started from scratch, my wife and I, in 1996 in Asia. And after a couple of years, one of our biggest clients came to us, which was Goldman Sachs. And I'm saying that because they're a left brain analytical data banking company and said, we, we've loved what you do. We love your creativity. Could you please teach us about creativity? Now, I know we had this conversation before, but, but banking and creativity don't go together. I mean, people don't get into banking so they can be creative. They get into banking so they can use their data analytical skills. And here's the, you know, one of the premium companies, Goldman Sachs, saying to us, hey, we've, we've loved working with you for the last couple of years. Tell us about creative thinking. And, and this is where we started to get into the design thinking, showing that you can take an idea from here and an idea from here, put it together and come up with something better. And hey, who doesn't want to do that, whether it's money or, or, or whatever. So we started getting into that creative thinking and teaching creative thinking skills, but we wanted to be true to our heritage, and that is to make that creative thinking creative in the way we teach it. I mean, imagine going to university, and, and when I had that when I was studying education, and the lecturers are boring. The lecturers shouldn't be boring when you're studying education. They should bring it alive. And I had some lecturers that did bring it alive and some that was so boring because they were just presenting content. So we got into teaching creative thinking because our clients started asking us about, could you teach it, but could we teach it in a creative way? And so we started researching it. And, and I don't know if you, yeah, I, you didn't mention it, but now my partner's got a, a PhD in the topic. So we've, we've certainly moved on. And now she's at Sydney Uni Business School, the Department of Innovation Strategy and Entrepreneurship. So we've, we've come a long way, but we originally started teaching about creative thinking and design thinking. But hey, we didn't want to just teach another seven steps of design thinking because you could buy a book on that. You can go to Stanford. You can do so many different courses. And so what we wanted to do is, is see how could we teach it in a way that was gamified? How could we teach it in a way that our clients could ring us up 20 years later, which is what they're doing, and say, I still remember that topic 20 years ago. I mean, I've been to keynote talks at conferences where we've come away, and, and I'm as critical of my industry and myself as I am of what I'm about to say, come away from hearing a keynote speaker and they've said, that speaker was great. And I said, yes, that's good. What did he talk on? And they'd say, I don't know, but he was really good. And I said, but what did you learn? What was your outcomes? What behavior changed? Oh, I don't know, but he was very inspiring. I mean, 10 minutes after his talk, people couldn't remember what he talked on and there was no behavior changed. I've got clients ringing me up 20 years later saying, I remember that program. And it's because we connect it to a theme. So each one of our programs is connected to a memorable theme. Now, the one we're talking about today is creativity. And when we started teaching design thinking, we realized, again, our, our banking clients said, well, I don't want to be here. I, this has got nothing to do with me. So there was no point teaching them the seven steps of design thinking until we dealt with the things that were going wrong. And we're thinking, well, what, what's, why are they coming here saying they don't want to do it? And that's because they, they came with excuses. And so over, over the years, we started to gather all those excuses of why they didn't think creative thinking or design thinking was important to them. And we turned them into the book beat behind us, Who Killed Creativity and How to Get It Back? 
But again, we didn't just want to say from a neuroscience or psychological perspective. And then we worked with a neuroscientist and psychologist, psychiatrist to help us work out what was going on up here. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But I didn't want to just present that as a dry textbook. I wanted to say, now that we've worked out what's killing or blocking creativity, before we go on and do it, how can I present it in a way that these participants will remember it? And in 20 years time, they'll ring me up and go, I still remember that program. So that's where we came up with the concept of, well, creativity has been blocked in people's lives. The metaphor creativity has been killed. And it didn't take much to then start thinking about who killed creativity. And then CSI was in, you know, in its 12th season and you know, had more viewers than anyone else. And then there was the Cluedo game board and the Agatha Christie. And we thought, well, wait a minute, why don't we come up with the concept of a crime scene and talk about who killed creativity from the perspective of a crime? Because I know some of your other presenters in this podcast and our research shows that we were all creative as children. 98% of children score high on divergent thinking. Do you know, want to know what percentage that comes to by the time you reach university? 2%. So we did have that creativity as kids. 98% of kids are creative. 2% of adults score high in the same test. And so we're thinking, okay, what happened? What went wrong? And that's where, where it led to who killed creativity. Let's come up with a crime scene. Let's write a book with a psychologist and neuroscientist about what's killing our creativity. We've gathered all these excuses from our clients about why they shouldn't be in our workshop. Let's run those past a neuroscientist to tell us what's happening. So one of the killers is fear, fear of failure, fear of risk, fear of uncertainty. And he's explaining to us fear moves us into the back part of our brain. When you have a, a, a siren go off, you hear a car crash, a bomb explodes, which we've been in in Indonesia, it immediately moves you to the base primitive part of your brain. And the creativity happens in the prefrontal cortex. So you're living in that fight, flight, or freeze mode when you're in fear. And therefore, it doesn't matter what creativity you're being asked to do. Our psychologist or neuroscientist said, you can't be creative because you're in the back part of your brain trying to run away from an emergency. But here's the problem. In work, we're living in that fight, flight, or freeze nearly 24-7. It was originally designed to be a run away from a car crash or, or, or a tiger in the desert, it was meant to be an immediate response to an emergency situation. But many of us have set up our workplace now that we're living in that fight, flight, or freeze 24-7. And so you could ask people to be creative as much as you like, but as long as they're living in the back part of their brain, because of fear, they can't be creative. So you can give them the books, you can, they can do the seminars, they can watch the TED Talk, they can listen to all your podcasts. But as, as, as long as they're still back there with fear, the creativity won't happen. So, so that, that's where we came up with the concept of who killed creativity, wrote the book, and then we turned it into a game board like, like Cluedo, like, like Agatha Christie, and designed a game board. Simply, what are the killers? What weapons do they use? Where is creativity killed? What locations? Is it, is it going into the boss's office and saying, I've got this great idea? And the boss says, oh, that's a stupid idea. And, and you know what? It might be a stupid idea, but you're not going to come back the next time with a great idea. And when you do eventually come back with that great idea, it's the boss, you won't do it. And we've got plenty of stories where we've been in, you know, with our clients where people have said, yeah, that's what happened to me. I came up with this great idea. I took it to the boss or I took it to finance and they just crushed it. And so there's the weapon, crushing coercion or, or lacerating legacy. People says to come up with a great idea and someone says, ah, oh, we tried that last time. It didn't work. There's the apathy speaking. So we came up with these seven killers, seven weapons. 
seven locations to see if we could ask people on a game board, and not a, not a competitive game board, but more of a detective. It's, it's, it's almost a diagnostic tool where what's killing your creativity. And every company might be different. Every culture might be different. What, what we see in Singapore is different to Sydney, might be different to London. What you see in banking might be different to IT, might be different to pharma. And, and that's our job to create this diagnostic tool and, and back to the methodology that draws the people in. And they're now realizing, gosh, this is, this, 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 I didn't realize that every time I go to the boss's office and he, he kills me, Donald, let's not talk about the boss. Let's talk about me as a boss. How many people come to me and I kill their creativity of the way I respond? Not saying it's a good idea or a bad idea, but the way I respond to it. Do I let them walk out of the door wanting to come back tomorrow with a new idea? Or they walk out and say, I'm never going to put an idea again because you made me feel like crap. So that's the game board. And it's now available as a digital game board. So COVID certainly turned us into, you know, we used to have a physical game board with physical cards around a table. We still do. And it's really fun. People move them around. Now we've got a, a digital Miro board where people can, can buy it and actually run it themselves. And they can use it as a self-diagnostic tool to try and work out what kills creativity within, within their own mind, within their team, and possibly within their company culture. Everything you've talked about there, Andrea, it ticks so many boxes for me. I think, you know, the element of creativity, innovation, the fact that you're using a gamified approach. I absolutely love those experiences where you don't just turn up and it's just a set of slides and we're actually getting immersed into the experience itself. And banking, which is really interesting. And I know you and I were briefly talking about this before we kicked off the show. And you mentioned a large percentage of your clients are from banking and Mm. I used to work for Deutsche Bank, which I believe is another one of your big clients. And I, I remember there having conversation with the global head of HR who wanted me to come in and run a session on agile and agility for her executive team. And right at the end of the conversation, I plucked up the courage and I said, by the way, I said, could I bring some Lego? And she sort of, she's on the phone and she went, what do you mean? I said, well, I sometimes find adding an element of playfulness and gamification yep. can really bring the message at home even more effectively than me just rambling on. And she went, well, is that what you do with other exec teams? And I said, well, I've been trying, but it's sometimes difficult in this bank. And she went, well, yes, we, we want Lego. She said, yeah, we're definitely having Lego. So it was great to hear that, you know, one of the, the mm. leaders there was going beyond just that formal corporate sort of front and allowing me to come in and we ran a, a Lego simulation and mm. they were so engaged as an executive. Mm. And I'll just take it one step further. One of my proudest moments at Deutsche Bank was I managed to redesign our tech grad assessment approach, which previously was fairly formal and boring, where you know, you're put in a group environment and you're told, here's a problem, you've got to resolve it. So what we did was we brought in a whole scenario where they got to build stuff out of Lego and so for all of the tech grads now, they go through this experience. And the thing that really hit home for me was, I remember asking one of the candidates, how did you find that experience? And they said, they said, it's the only assessment where I didn't feel like I was being assessed. And that for me just made it all worthwhile. So I'm a big fan of everything you've just talked about here. One, one caveat in case your enthusiastic listeners think they can just grab a bunch of Lego and go in and say, let's build toys. <laughs> yeah. Again, not recognizing the 10,000 hours that you and me have put in. The, the danger there, and that's why I think the banks liked what we did, is a lot of other creativity consultants were perceived as being childish 
And so, you know, you've got to think about if these guys are worth a couple of hundred dollars an hour and you've got 20 people in the room, you're burning through thousands of dollars an hour of their time. So there has to be, you've got to, as you know, you can't just turn up with a game. It has to be framed correctly. It has to be themed correctly. So, so I'm, I'm always nervous of the team building companies that use these as gimmicks and they're not genuine. We're not just using the who killed creativity CSI as a gimmick. We've actually done research on what kills creativity. We're using it as a very powerful metaphor. And I've seen Lego done really well and I've seen it done really badly. So as I said, a quick, be careful just before anyone thinks they can turn up with Lego and, and throw it out on the table and let's build. And, and what did you see there? It has to be framed carefully. And I suppose that's the difference between someone that gets paid a lot and someone that does it for free, because you want to, you want to make sure that you don't insult their intelligence when you're doing gamification. Absolutely. Yeah, I think gamification does get a bad name for that exact reason sometimes, doesn't it? Where yep. people just assume everyone likes a good game and actually they haven't put the thought process in Yeah. You've almost got to convince the greatest skeptic in the room. I mean, you'll have gamified junkies, which will be right-brained people that just love it, which could be more like sales and marketing without stereotyping. But if you've got sales and marketing and data analytics in the same room, be careful because the left brain people are going to say, why am I wasting my time? What am I doing? I know when I work in Japan and Korea, they're very much just give me the six points. I don't want the metaphor. Just tell me how to, what, what, what I need to do. And, and so, it, you know, so even different cultures, you've got to set it up a little bit more carefully, got to gauge the sophistication level of your client and make sure you pitch to that level. So sometimes I do talk more about the neuroscience. I talk more about my wife's, my partner's a PhD and her research on innovation leadership. Other times, if I know it's a bit of a fun group, I, I will just jump straight into the game and they'll get into it. Oh, well, there's a great lesson learned there. Know your audience. <laughs>